Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host uh, today, and very happy to be with you again. Thank you for tuning in with us. It's a pleasure to be able to study the Bible together, and um, today is no exception. We are continuing on the subject, Making Friends for God. And today we are going to look at um, how important it is to share the Word of God with others. But before that, I would like to just introduce the panel for today. And uh, I would like to thank all of our members of the panel to come with us again. And I will start with Len. Len, uh, thank you very much, first of all, for filling in for me for the last over a month or so. You did a great job and uh, praise God for that. Welcome to the program today. Thank you, Nick. And uh, I agree that it's a pleasure and a privilege to be able to study the Word of God on one's own and also with other people. And also, Will, thank you for joining us too. It's good to be here. Thank you, Len. I would like to welcome uh, Helen also. Good to have you with us, Helen. Thank you, Nick. It's a delight. I just really enjoy being here on the study and sharing. And Brenton. Uh, thank you, Nick. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, having just had the experience of sharing the word yesterday, um, I'm looking forward to sharing it uh, with, with us all, with our panel and with us today. And not uh, too far from me here is Lija. Lija, it's very good to have you with us uh, also. Thank you. It's a blessing to study God's holy word. With no further comments, I would like to pass it to Brenton, who's our facilitator for today. And Brenton, please take us through the study. Thank you, Nick. It's a real pleasure to be able to share the word today. And we're going to be looking at some key Bible texts, which I re think reveal how the Word himself uh, revealed himself to some of his disciples and how we can follow in his footsteps and what the Word of God does for helping us to be able to share with others. Lydia, I wonder if you would offer prayer for us before we begin. Holy Father in heaven, thank you so much for this opportunity that you gave it to us to study your holy word again. Father, please bless us. Send your Holy Spirit into our hearts and minds to experience the benefits of studying your holy word and applying in our lives. Father, through your holy word, we discover you. We discover Jesus, the loving, forgiving God and the caring God that you are towards us. Father, please bless every individual that is hearing you, your word today. Send your Holy Spirit in their hearts to touch their hearts with your compassion and love. Father, thank you that you're always hearing our prayers. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 Thanks. There was a very interesting comment that uh, I read as we were preparing for this study. And I wonder, Len, could you share it with us? I've called it a key thought, but I think it's worth comment by our panel. I'm interested to, uh, for you to read it for us, Len, and comment on it. This is the key thought. It is this, that when we share the Word of God, 
our primary goal is not to prove that we are right and that the other person is wrong. It is to reveal Jesus in each facet of the truth we share. Now, there's a problem with trying to prove yourself right and the other person wrong. People have different views, of course, and some people can't accept certain things, but we are not the prime source of information. We are using the Word of God, and the main thing in the Word of God is that mankind has sinned, and God has done something about it, and Jesus was involved in that to the degree where he gave his life and then took it up again for our sakes. Although, of course, there are rights and wrongs, but the primary goal is to share Jesus. Thank you, Len. Any other comments, panel, on, on this? Helen, have you got a comment on it for us? Well, I'm agreeing with the statement to start with, or I'm agreeing with what Len just said, that is our primary goal is to share Jesus. And, and I believe that if we are actually trying to prove a point, it's, it's not going to uh, be beneficial to anyone. It certainly is beneficial to everyone us sharing Jesus and uh, the truth as according to his Bible, according to his word. Tell me, when you share Jesus, um, are you sharing Jesus from the point of view of information or are you sharing Jesus from the point of view of what he's done in your life and what the person you're sharing with can see? Oh, Brenton, can I jump in here? Yes, you may um, jump in. <laughs> definitely sharing from what I, I know from the Bible because without the Bible I would not know Jesus and but, however, I don't go out with thinking I'm going to hammer head, hammer over the head uh, all that I know about Jesus. I'm not there to impart knowledge. I'm not. I'm there to to show or um, testify to what He's done in my life by experience. And oh boy, you can't keep me quiet on that one. Amen. Okay, Will, what are you your thoughts on this one? I think that we can try and overwhelm people with facts even before they know the Lord Jesus as a personal saviour. I think our starting point is really to introduce them to our, to our best friend Amen. and our Lord. Yes. And only then uh, will they discover what his directives are uh, in their lives. Mm, okay. Nick or Lydia? I was thinking along the line that um, when we impart the word of God, there is power in the word of God. First of all, I would like to say that uh, prayer is very, very important to be able to prepare that soil, if you like. Yes. And, uh, the Word of God, it's uh, powerful in itself. And uh, when you try to just um, speak words and impress people with uh, your uh, eloquence or whatever it is, then it may... Um, you know, impress people, but not. I'm not sure if in the right way. <laughs> May yeah. people to follow your teachings, you know, but not to be cut in their hearts and really uh, open their hearts for God to do the work of yeah. uh, change, which we all need. Yeah. Thank you, Nick. Uh, that's a, that's a very good comment. Um, Helen, you've got a comment for us. Yeah, Brenton, let me say... I was just thinking, sometimes we don't have to say anything. We have the Holy Spirit working in our hearts and our lives. It should come over even by our body language and the look on our face, you know. Um, we want to draw 
draw or lift Christ up to other people, we first have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And people can quite often see that in your demeanour and also how you react to something perhaps somebody else says. Yeah. Do we have an example of that in the book of Acts in chapter 4 and verse 12? You remember when Peter and John were called before the Sanhedrin? It says they were amazed because these men were unlearned and they took note of them that they had been with Jesus. Maybe the important issue for us today as a panel and for those who listen is this. It's not how much we know, it's have we spent time with Jesus day by day. Peter and John just didn't get up and uh, repeat by rote something that they'd learned. I believe the Holy Spirit revealed to them at the time what was necessary to impress upon the hearts of the Pharisees the fact that Christ was the risen Saviour. And uh, from there, it had a great effect, as we know, by reading the book of Acts. God's word is variously described in various ways. When you think of God's word, I think most of us think of the Bible. We think immediately of uh, Genesis to Revelation, 66 books written over 1,400 years uh, by various authors, something like 30 or 40 authors. However, God's word is also, we use metaphors or similes to describe God's words. And, Will, I wondered if you could share with us uh, what lamp and light mean. First of all, could you read Psalm 119, 105, and maybe just give you, give us an explanation as to, is there a difference between God's word being a lamp and God's word being a light? Yes, there's a great metaphor in Psalm 119, verse 105. It says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I think that in Bible times they had one main lighting source. It was oil lamps. I think uh, I like to think of the difference in modern times between an electric light and a torch. At the flick of a switch nowadays, an electric light can illuminate your life and surroundings. But a torch you can take into the dark outdoors to find your way and go searching. So the Bible, too, certainly lights our path through life, but it also brightens our lives and homes like nothing else can. Yeah. Do you think that um, the lamp of God's word also reveals things that you don't want to be shown? Oh, yes, that's for sure. You can hide a lot of things in darkness, boy, but the light uh, can be an embarrassing uh, presence. Yeah. Isn't it interesting, though, that God's word reveals to us that we are sinners? It reveals the dark places of our lives that we don't want to be shown, but it doesn't leave us there. If it left us there, we would just simply be a group of people who are full of a guilt trip. What it does is it points, points us to someone, the light of the world, who can change all of that. Len, I think you had a comment. Well, a lamp is not a light. Right. Thanks, Len. But the scripture says God's word is both a lamp and a light. And I see it a bit like this. A lamp without a light is useless. And a light without a lamp is an impossibility in this simile. Yes. God's word is given by God. In Second Timothy 3.16, it tells us that the word of God came from God. So that's why it's called God's word. So in this case, God's word can be a lamp and a light, because it comes from God. 
God is the lamp in a very strict sense and the word of God is the light. In this case, it fits that it's both. Yeah, okay, thank you. Helen, you got a comment on that, I see. Just like to add and say, you know, when light illuminates our path, our walk home is pleasant, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, without the light, we are groping in darkness. And Jesus, he longs to get us home. So I believe he provided his word as a lamp to light the way. Okay, thanks, Helen. Um, God's word is also variously described as a fire and a hammer. I've never really thought of this, but uh, Jeremiah twenty three twenty nine describes it as such. I wonder if you could read that for us, Helen, and perhaps comment on it. Verse 29, uh, reading from the New Living Translation, it says, Does not my word burn like fire, saith the Lord? Is it not like a mighty hammer? that smashes a rock to pieces. I found this extremely interesting, this text. So uh, Brenton, I may it. I comment? <laughs> you may can I comment? comment, and I know Will is backing up, ready to comment as well. <laughs> Thank you. So Thank it's, you, com- it's compared to fire because it consumes. You know, when we share the word of God with others, the fire of God's word burns within their soul, consuming error. And like gold refined in the fire, the dross is consumed. And I think that's just, I mean, one of my favourite texts is Job 23.10. He said, when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Yes. The refining process is always, isn't always pleasant, I might add, but it is necessary to remove the dross that's in our character and in the character of those we're sharing with. But also we said God's word is like a hammer. Goodness, when I looked at that, I thought, hammers nail things together. They Good. also smash things. And I thought, well, the hammer of God's word, it breaks the hard hearts into pieces. And think of the dramatic change that took place in the life of the demoniac, for example, or the Roman centurion or the thief on the cross and a host of others throughout the New Testament. The word of God pounded away at their hard hearts until they were broken by the hammer of love. Helen, you've assessed that very well. Um, but there was one question I was going to ask you before I come to Will and then to Len, and mm-hmm. that is this. If fire consumes the dross, as you said, yes. if you choose not to allow that fire to consume the dross, what else does fire do? Fire can act as punishment. Well, it consumes, that's for sure. It can consume in the way of consuming the dross, but it also can consume if somebody decides to turn away completely. It yeah, will consume. You remember the text in the Bible where it says the wicked are destroyed with the word or the yes. sword of God's mouth. Absolutely. Mm. And that's a sad, sad thing, isn't mm. it? Yeah. Sad thing. The yeah. other thing, can I just add, with yeah, the refiner... Sure. The mm. refiner knows when the gold is ready yes. because he can see his reflection in the gold. And um, I just pray that the Lord hammers us until he can see and puts us in the fire until he can see his reflection. Yeah, the hammer also nails things, as you quite rightly mm. said, it nails things together. Mm-hmm. But a hammer can also use a nail for a specific point. So the word of God has that aspect too. Will, you had some thoughts to share with us. It's reading those words in Jeremiah twenty three twenty nine that Helen has read. Is not my word like a fire and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Um, I grew up in a gold mine in South Africa. Oh, right. Share the, with us. <laughs> the deep, it's the deepest mine in the world that uh, we used to go down. 
uh, 13,000 feet. Now, the ore was extracted from three and a half kilometers down uh, in the earth. Mm. Uh, and it needed two main stages, my dad used to tell me, crushing and heat. When the Bible speaks about a hammer and fire, I think of the refining process to produce fine gold, as Helen has said, and the character in the believer. Well, that's a wonderful illustration. Len, you had something to share with us. Oh, I was looking at something else. A fire basically cleanses. Yes, good it thought. Yep. Cleanses, although it also can destroy. It just depends how you use that particular metaphor. Mm. A hammer, as well as breaking into pieces, is also used to shape and construct things. Like I was in my workshop yesterday making some brackets. I couldn't have made them without a hammer. So the hammer is also used to shape and construct. And the Word of God actually is like a hammer in that sense. It shows you the path of life that you should follow. Len, that's a very good thought. Um, What about a text that we're all probably thinking of at the moment where it says um, the Word of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof? for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be what? Thoroughly equipped in all good works. Is that talking about shaping? It is. Yes. Another illustration there, because when I'm thinking about this fire and hammer, automatically come into my uh, mind uh, the horseshoe maker. Yes. Or uh, people who are working into the, how do you call that in English, that person who work with the... Blacksmith. Farrier. You cannot do anything unless you put it in the fire first and then with the hammer you start molding it. Now, in this context, what it says um, that the baptism of, uh, you know, John was with with water, but the baptism of Jesus will be with what? Holy Spirit and fire. Holy Spirit and fire, which means that uh, if you want to really shape something, you need to have the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And the hammer will be the the Word of God, which doesn't take sides. You know, it's go straight and shape the thing. If you are under the Holy Spirit, and that's the problem. Too many times, people may, you may not see the effects of the Word of God in their lives because the Holy Spirit is not working in their lives. And uh, the Bible says sometimes you, you can even waste the word of God, like throwing before the, the pigs said in, in other parts of the Bible. Now, I'm not saying this to discourage anybody, but I'm just saying how important it is to realize the implication of these two aspects of fire and hammer. Yeah, very good, Nick. Uh, Len? I've heard the expression Bible bashing where it alludes to the fact that somebody is trying to preach to somebody else who might be unwilling, and it's like using the Bible to bash them over the head like a hammer. I don't think that's included in this metaphor that we're just dealing with. No. Thank you, thank you, Len. I'd like to take that one a step further, though, <laughs> before we move on to the next metaphor, which is seed. Remember, a hammer can't do anything. It's reliant upon the person who uses the hammer. Mm-hmm. So therefore, there is uh, some value, I think, in us considering 
how are we using the word of God? It's the word of God that's the hammer, not us. Our, our responsibility is to humbly and wisely, and this is where I believe the Holy Spirit is so important, is asking the Holy Spirit to help us to use the hammer so as not to smash, but so as to soften, so that the Holy Spirit is able to work. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. All right, moving on. The third metaphor that's used is seed. Nick, would you share with us Luke 8 verse 11, please? Yes, um, just before I read this uh, short verse of the Bible, um, this is in the context of uh, the parable of the farmer scattering seed. Yes. And it says here in verse 11, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. Yeah. Nick, can you take it one step further? Can you share with us where God's word falls? Remember in another parable, it talks about how the seed fell in various places. What are some of the places that the seed falls in? Yes. I mean, uh, definitely we have those uh, at least four areas, talking about um, falling into a path. I think yeah. in, 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 in order, Nick, it was first of all it fell on the path, then it fell on the stony ground, then it fell on the thorns or in, on soil where thorns sprang up and choked it, and the last one is when it brings forth 30, 60, or 100-fold. Yes. And thank you for reading that text. Lydia, um, you did have a text that I asked you or want you to read for us where Jesus actually uses the illustration of seed when he's talking to the woman at the well. And he, his disciples come back, and they bring him some food, and he's uh, sitting there actually looking out over the fields and talking to them. And uh, they don't seem to get it. But I wonder if you could share with us John 4, 36 to 38. Okay, I can read. Um, even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now the harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I send you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. So we observe here that we have the metaphor, the comparison of farming. Yes. Which is a, it's a patient and long process, very regularly and by repeated cycles with different stages and different jobs for different people at different times also. So we observe here that the word of God is compare, compared to the seed. And the key characteristic of seed is that it is life-giving. Seed, yes. seed takes time to grow, and not all the seeds germinate at the same time, and not all the plants grow at the same time. But under the right conditions, the life in the seed bursts forth through the soil into, into a new life. So we as farmers, when we plant the seeds of the word of God into the hearts and minds of others, we will not always see immediate results, but silently we need, we need the seed. We can see the seed is growing or no. And in God's own time. And uh, if 
we respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting, it will produce a harvest for God's kingdom. So we need to be open to the Holy Spirit's leading in regard to how we can be used. This process of preparing the ground, uh, planting the seeds and reaping the harvest. Thank you, Lydia. That was very well put. Uh, Helen. Yes, I um, would like to just add another text, if I may. Sure, sure. Um, Mark Finley brings it out in, in one of his books. And he said that Jesus expanded on this theme in one of his farming parables. He said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. And the Bible commentator, Matthew Henry, he comments on that particular passage. He said, if the seed will come up, though it seem lost and buried under the clods, it will find or make its way through them. The seed cast into the ground will spring forth. Let not let but the word of Christ have the place it ought to have in the soul, and it will show itself as the wisdom from above doth in good conversation. You know, the word of God may seem as though it is buried somewhere within the mind, covered under the clods of sin, but if it is cherished, it will spring forth into new life. It will radically change our attitude, our conversation, and our lifestyle. A seed is life-giving. We may not see the seed growing, but it is growing beneath the soil. And as we sow the seed of the word of God in the lives of people in our sphere of influence, it may appear, you know, very little is happening in their lives. And we've seen that as we share with people. Sometimes it might appear as though the seed is wasted. But did you notice Jesus' statement? His master's point was, we sow the seed, God grows a seed. Our responsibility is not to grow seed, it is to sow seed. Yeah, good point. Will, you had a comment for us. Helen put it well, actually. We do sow, but we leave the rest to God. And we need to be patient, uh, Brenton. I was interested to know that a pawpaw doesn't uh, bear fruit within uh, five years. It takes five to seven years. Pears, four to six years. Do you know that pecan nuts... You need 10 years before you can reap uh, any fruit, any wow. uh, nuts from the tree. I, didn't um, know I that. think that we need to leave the results to God. We can just stand and wait. Yeah. Um, all of those are good comments. Can I summarise before we move on to the next two metaphors with uh, just a brief comment? The parables of the sower and the parables of the seed that Nick read and also that Lydia read relate to a specific situation. When the seed is sown, it always springs up. If you remember the parable of the sower, even the seed that was sown on the path, the birds came along and ate it. The seed that was sown on the rocky ground came up, but as soon as the the heat came, it withered and died. The seed that was sown amongst thorns actually sprang up to a degree that you would recognise it as, as a harvest, but the thorns got in amongst it and choked it out. And the good seed, uh, of course, produced 30, 60, and 100 times. Maybe in summary we could say this. All of us have said that it's our responsibility to sow the seed. That is correct. And I believe it's reasonable to expect that there will be a harvest. But we don't know what that will be. We don't know whether the harvest will be a good one or whether it will wither on the vine, so to speak. What we need to do is sow the seed in faith and then pray that the harvest that we're looking for 
is the harvest that God wants. And I believe if we do that, uh, we can have the satisfaction of knowing that the seed has been sown and by God's grace, at some future time, it will produce a harvest, even like uh, um, Will's pecan nuts. Let's hope it doesn't take 10 years, but <laughs> we want to see a harvest sooner than that. Moving on. The next point is the word of God is described as the sword. Len, can you share with us Hebrews 4.12? Well, some people regard the word of God as a dead book. They don't find it at all exciting. But the Bible describes itself as, and I'll read Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active. Some other versions say powerful, sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Here, this verse is saying God's word is living and it's powerful. In fact, it's even better than a sharp double-edged sword because a sword can't divide the thoughts and feelings and emotions. But the word of God, can say what we should and should not know, what we should and should not do, all those hidden things. The Word of God speaks about those things. Yeah, thank you, Len. Uh, Will, you had a comment on that. I read something interesting this week about a sword. There's, uh, we've all heard of the legendary sword Excalibur, which King yes. Arthur was supposed to have drawn from a rock. But do you know that there is today, under a dome of the Montesieppi Chapel in Ciusdino in Italy, there's a sword sticking out of a rock. Pope Lucius III built a chapel over the sword and the rock and declared the sword's owner a saint. This is Saint Galgano Giodotti. It is reportedly firmly lodged inside the rock. Surprisingly, though, the story is that uh, when it pierced the rock, it went in like a, a hot knife into butter. You see, while Galgano was still struggling with his decision to become a Christian and forsaking all, he was led, he says, in a vision to use his sword to split the rock but point first. It effortlessly went right in, like a knife into jelly or butter, right up to the handle. Seeing how firmly lodged it was, though, prompted the Pope to declare him a saint. No one, it is said, is able to withdraw the sword, but just in case, there is in the chapel and in a nearby glass case the display of the mummified hands of a thief who reportedly tried to extract the sword from the rock. We might argue against the fact that the sword entered the rock with such ease, but it is felt that the sword would uh, make the man who wields it invincible. Now, this is where the text comes into, into play. The scriptures talk about a sword which can probe and pierce the hardest hearts and cut deep, even to where the soul and the spirit meet. Thank you, Will. That was very well put. In dividing to, uh, it says, between uh, discerning the thoughts of the heart and so on and so forth, as Len read, what is the purpose of all of that? Isn't that to reveal simply to us that our motives and our ambitions are not in harmony with God's word and therefore bringing us to a realisation of our desperate situation and how much we need Jesus? 
Because after all, if we're supposed to be revealing Jesus to people in, by sharing the word of God, revealing Jesus to, to people is not to demonstrate that he was a historical figure. That can be demonstrated by Josephus. It can be demonstrated by any number of books that can prove that Christ was a historical figure. What we want people to see in presenting Jesus is that he is their only hope, their only hope for now and their only hope for the future. Helen, you had a comment. Thinking again of the, the piercing of, of the sword into the soul, it actually discerns the good and the evil within us. And I believe, as you just said, it, it shows us, you know, it's like the demands of God's word require decisions. Yes. You know, and I think that piercing of the sword is what prompts us to make the decision. You know, we mustn't only listen to the word, but we must also let it shape our lives. And that's what we would wish from the people that we actually share mm. the Lord with. That is a very good thought. Thank you, everybody. Nick or Lydia, did you have any comment on this one? Uh, the word of God is the living word, as we read in the Bible. So uh, it carries it with the power to accomplish the things that it declares. So human words can speak of what is, but God speaks of things that are not yet done and then creates them by the power of his word. That's a good thought, Ligia. So really what you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong, is that the power that is available to change lives is really the same power that God used to creation. Is that what you're saying? Amen. Mm, okay. And well, also, also the um, you know we're talking about the word of God representing like uh, like a sword with two edge which splits or uh, you know yes. or cuts. It's it's interesting that this analogy is given to us because you know a swordsman, however good. Uh, and um, skilled he can be, if, if he hasn't got a good sword, a sharp sword, then, uh, you know, uh, he can do damage probably, but he cannot uh, win, you know, over his, uh, let's say, adversary. Yes. But what, what it is here, actually, because we are all adversaries to God because of sin. And God is using, through his word, which was just mentioned here that through his word, creation came up. Yes. And again, through his word, we can be recreated, if you like. When mm. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you need to be born again. I mean, we need to, through the word of God, to be recreated, to be born again, to be renewed. Yeah. And it's interesting that the, the sword is used to illustrate uh, how important it is to allow the word to do the changes, yes, not our own abilities. Yeah. Thank you, Nick. That's very good uh, thoughts. Will, can you share with us, um, the last metaphor is not so much a metaphor. It describes what takes place in a person who has received the word. And there are several things here. I wonder if, if you could share them with us. Thanks. Perhaps you're thinking of uh, the Bible being uh, having the ability to make us partakers of the divine nature. In 1 Peter 2, verse 23, it says, it is able to save our souls. And uh, Ooh, James... That's pretty uh, important, one, isn't it? Yes, and in James one twenty-three, it uh, says, um, walking in the light as he is in the light. So basically, I think 
we can say in the broader terms of these metaphors that um, the Word of God has the ability to really transform the nature of man into something that is uh, very much closer to what Jesus is. Uh, can I just comment that uh, yes, becoming, <clears throat> becoming partakers of the very nature of Christ is really a challenging concept to most of us. I mean, I ask myself the question, can I really become so like the Savior that my natural instincts lead me to live a more righteous life? Of course, we always depend on God. But does he do that refining that he changes my my very that very tendency of my life. I always contested this until I read recently an inspired statement which put it all into context for me. And it's in a book called The Desire of Ages, which I highly recommend to um, to the panel and to um, to every listener. This is the quote: "All true obedience comes from the heart. It was heart work with Christ. If we consent." He will so identify himself with our thoughts and aims, so blend our hearts and minds into conformity with his will that, and this is the important part, when obeying him, we shall be but carrying out our own impulses. That is amazing that the word of God can transform the soul to this extent. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Will. Um, Len, I wondered if you could read First John 1.7. I know um, this is a fairly important one because it actually gives some additional things to what Will has been sharing with us. So First John 1 and verse 7, uh, I want to uh, share with that. Before we move on to two examples, first of all, an example of how the Word himself was able to transform two disillusioned and heartbroken disciples, and furthermore, how one of his uh, followers was able to share the word of God. Len, if you could just read First John 1, 7 and just briefly comment on it, because it actually mentions two facets, which I find quite interesting. I'm reading from the NIV. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Well, the admonition is that we walk in the light. In other words, we walk in or our lives are governed by the word of God or the choices we make are from the word of God. Within that, we can be purified through what Jesus has done for us. So you won't have the purification without the, the, the walk. Good point. Tell me, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Does that bring peace and joy in our lives? It certainly does. I heard a statement once that said that most people who are in a lunatic asylum or a psychiatric ward are there because they feel guilt. This is the the figure given was 70%. So we could say then that 70% of people who are in psychiatric wards are there because they feel guilt from what they've done wrong. Mm. When you are forgiven, you you may still feel some guilt, but you don't feel condemned. Yes. You're forgiven, it's dealt with, it's over, and you can get on with your life. 
the purpose of the guilt, what is it, Len? Isn't it just to show us our hopeless condition? It certainly is. Uh, and that there is a remedy. Yeah. It'd be like a doctor, it'd be like me going to a doctor uh, panel and uh, he looks at me, he does a whole heap of tests and he says, Mr. Wilkinson, you've got terminal cancer. Off you go. How would I feel? <laughs> mm. How would you feel? He hasn't offered any solution. He hasn't suggested that there is treatment that may help me. He hasn't suggested anything. He simply said he's outlined my problem, but he has not given me a solution to my problem or a suggestion of what I can do. Um, when the word of God is applied to people's lives, it shows them that they're sinners. But if they, if they refuse to take the remedy, all it does is point out the fact that they're a sinner. Mm -hmm. I already know that many times anyway. And the word of God simply brings it home to them by using the metaphor of the sword, by showing them how bad they really are. And let's face it, most people today don't think they're bad people. So this is where the problem lies. Most Australians think that they're as good as the next person, don't they, Nick? Mm, absolutely. And this is, this is where the problem lies. It's the, the Holy Spirit brings home to the fact that you are in a hopeless position. And unless you accept Jesus, you'll remain in that hopeless position. I think that's a, a pretty important point. Anyway, we're moving on to the two examples. Nick, you're going to read to us the story of, well, not the story because that would take too long mm -hmm. uh, given the time that we've got left, but I really want you to share with us Luke chapter 24, verse 25 to 27 and also verse 32. And let's pull this apart a little bit and have a look at how did the word himself share the word with people who were in totally disillusioned and in a hopeless state? Right. Now, this is um, happening uh, after Jesus was crucified and the yes. disciples just uh, walking their way home on the road to Emmaus and uh, Jesus joining them and said this. Of course, at this stage, they didn't uh, really... Recognize Jesus. Jesus that's important, Nick. That, yes. That's important, but they didn't recognize him. Yes. And it, uh, verse 25, starting from verse 25, says, Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory. Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from the scriptures the teachings concerning himself. And in verse 32, here now they start to, to recognize and hear the words of Jesus. And they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained to us the scriptures? This is very interesting uh, passage here because, uh, you know, these people were not strangers to the word of God and to the prophecies of the Bible. That's right. They knew a lot of things. Jewish people, Israel, they knew. They were awaiting for Messiah to come, and they were preparing for that. But when that happened, they didn't. They they were kind of like uh, blown away by the 
the situation that they allow the human thoughts, you know, to come in, uh, and, and overwhelm them and get discouraged. Now, of course, they have misunderstanding of, uh, of Messiah or, and the rule, rulership. Yeah, Nick, what did they misunderstand about the Messiah that made them in such, a, such deep depression? So I mean, first, first of all, they were waiting for the Messiah to be uh, their ruler, you know, to take them out of uh, the the oppression of the Roman uh, yes. yeah. mm-hmm. uh, people in that time. But not only that, interesting that the scripture was so clearly about the suffering of the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Back even in Isaiah 53, we may touch on that, um, and all other passages in the Bible. Uh, but they allow the human, the human uh, impression or the human human understanding to really take away their mind from the teachings of the Bible, and that could be dangerous for ourselves. Also, we may uh, wait for something to happen, and it may not happen as we expect, and we can be discouraged. And just that reminds me a great man of God back in 1800s the, by the name of William Mueller. William Mueller, he was a student of the Bible and he understood a lot of things of the Bible, but he had some misunderstandings there, as these people had also. And uh, you may remember about the great disappointments uh, back in those days. But what I like about William Mueller, when he saw the, you know, the that didn't come to fulfillment, his predictions were his teachings, he said these famous words, I have fixed my mind on another time, and here I stand. You know, for I, I have fixed my mind for another time, which is today, today, and today. We need to really allow God to explain and to show to us the meaning of his word and not to be discouraged uh, something doesn't come up as we think. Okay. Tell me, how was Jesus able to explain in the scriptures all these things about himself that changed them some, from sorrowful to hope? What would he have explained? I know we haven't got time to go through the scriptures. He would have quoted because we don't know all the scriptures he would have quoted. But certainly their minds were fixed on the fact that this man... Jesus, who they believed was the Messiah, had been crucified, and that was the end of it. So he had to take them beyond that and show them that that wasn't the end of it. Um, Helen, you had a comment on that thing. Just coming back to that text, he, he says it says there he took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining to them all scriptures. From that, we can look right through the whole Bible, you know, starting, say, with Genesis, um, 3.15 spoke yes. of Christ. Yes. And we could go to the suffering sermon, in, and as Nick mentioned, in Isaiah yes. 53, the pierced one in Zechariah, yes. Zechariah 12.10, the messenger of the covenant in Malachi, Malachi 3.1. You know, Jesus reintroduced these disciples to the Old Testament. You know, the disciples basically had the Old Testament, or at least Moses' writings, and he was like reintroducing them. But I think the important thing is that Christ is the thread that goes or is woven throughout all of Scripture. 
And he is the central theme that binds us together. And it's just amazing. I teach um, the sanctuary service from the Old Testament. Yes. And I've discovered that that's all the way from Genesis straight all the way through to Revelation. There is sanctuary is mentioned or inferred in some of the language. And the sanctuary the sanctuary is all about Jesus, yes. all about salvation from start to finish. And um, I think it would have been exciting to have heard that Bible study with Jesus. Um, of all the Bible studies mentioned in the Bible, and the, the second one we're going to come to in a minute is the other one I would have liked to be present at. This is the one above preeminently above all of them that I would have liked to have been present because the person who is talking is talking about himself. He's revealing himself. Mm. And yet they were unaware of it. As you said, Nick, they didn't recognize him. But nevertheless, the word himself was revealing himself to them. I mean, God could not use any other method that would have been more effective for reaching their heart than to have the Son of God, recently risen from the dead, only a matter of hours before, reveal himself to them. What more could God do? Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, just, yes. just on that one quickly, uh, Brenton. Isn't that not true that today we are facing this sort of position in the Christendom uh, when people will say, oh, yeah, that was in the olden days, in the Old Testament, but they're Christians of the New Testament. And sometimes you can run into big trouble just uh, taking out of context some of the passages in the Bible. But that's why you need, and Jesus very, very tactful, Fully. Fully. He took them back to the scripture. He took them back right from the beginning, as you you mentioned there, to Moses and other prophets and so on and so forth. In our situation, Mm. all our good intention, we may be disillusioned. We may Mm. be walking on the wrong path and be disappointed. But if we allow the Bible to point us back, to the truth, yes. we are on the right path. Yes, on the right. And that's what we should do all the time. If somebody even comes and presents before us, let's say a new light or truth, whatever, we should not just disregard it straight away, push it away. No, we should say, let's look in the Bible. Let's look into the Word of God to see if that speaks uh, about this. And this is a wise attitude, I believe. And these two people, they were able to say that, to recognize that after Jesus was explaining those those things, how well that reminded them about the things which they knew, kind of. Yes, good point. Lynn? I've said this on air before, but I think it bears repeating. Somebody said to me one day, I believe in Jesus and what he said, but I don't believe all that Old Testament stuff. Well, Jesus believed in that Old Testament stuff because this, the Old Testament, was referring to Jesus through the sacrificial services and all that. So the man who said that was completely uh, barking up the wrong tree, in my opinion. He was, then. He was. Jesus used the Old Testament to establish his own identity, if you like. I know that's not the right word, but I can't think of the right word at the moment. Yes. Now, that's a good point. Let's look at our second um, uh, example quickly. It's found in the book of Acts, chapter 8. We haven't got time to read all the verses. It's the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, The the verse that I particularly want to um, hone in on 
is from, let me see, it's from about verse, probably from verse 31 down to verse 35. Len, are you reading that one for us? Yes, I am. (laughs) Now, this eunuch was a government official of Ethiopia. He was probably a very high official. He'd obviously come to Israel or around there for some specific reason, possibly to go to the Passover, but I don't really know. The Bible doesn't tell us. He's reading while the chariot is jogging along. Horses are jogging, but the chariot is following. And he's reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. And this is what he was reading at this moment when Philip came up to him. He said, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? And the eunuch was wondering, well, who is this person? And then Philip came to him and said, well, do you know what you're reading? And he said, how can I? Tell me, please, who the prophet's talking about, himself or someone else. And Philip began from that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about the he he was reading about, who was Jesus. Now, there's more that Philip told him we don't know. The Bible doesn't record it. But as they were going along the road together, Philip up on the chariot, talking to the Ethiopian official, they came across a body of water, and the eunuch said to him, here's water, why can't I be baptised? So obviously something happened in the mind of that eunuch in hearing about Jesus and what he did to save humanity, and he gave his heart to the Lord right there on that dusty road. What a wonderful uh, example of using the word of God. What did Philip do? He didn't give him information. He preached to him Jesus. Yes. Because Jesus is the whole focus of Isaiah 53. And how he explained it to him, we don't know. But, guys, <laughs> um, Nick touched on the uh, example that Jesus used with the two disciples. That's one Bible study I most certainly would have wanted to be present at, but this would be a second one <laughs> where he revealed Jesus to him so that at the end of it all, he said, look, here's water. Why can't I be baptised? Nick, yeah, just, just quickly. <laughs> I'd just like to make another comment. Sure, sure. Today... As back then, angels are waiting to lead men to their fellow men. In the experience of Philip and the Ethiopian is presented the work to which the Lord calls his people. God chooses chooses to use us fallible human beings to share the gospel message with others. Isn't isn't that a powerful statement, Len? It's very powerful and it's it's quite challenging. Yes. Yeah, Nick, just quickly. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, uh, and just told uh, the um, the thought, you know, which I was going to share on uh, on pretty much on the same thing. Uh, but one more thing there, in this example with Philip and Yutik, uh, is that God uses His people who are exposed to more truth than others to guide other people in the truth. This is very important because we are not at the same level, but God will use us as a humble tool in his hands 
to reach out to those people who need more. Yes. To understand more. And this is important. We previously, in the previous uh, Bible study, uh, we talked about the unity of the body and uh, uh, to work together all those uh, members of the body. And here you see that example. Somebody who already knew about Jesus was able to help somebody who was searching Yes, Jesus. That's, that's, that's a very good point. Lydia, you had a statement for us that you're going to read and then I'm going to ask Helen to close with prayer for us. Thanks, Lydia. No sooner does one come to Christ than there is born in his heart a desire to make known to others what is a precious friend he has found in Jesus. The saving and sanctifying truth cannot be shut up in his heart. If we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ and are filled with the joy of his indwelling spirit, we shall not be able to hold our peace. Do you find that a challenging statement? Mm. Mm. Yes. I think we do. In summary, we could say the word of God performs many functions, but primarily the function that we as Christ followers are to perform is to reveal Jesus, not only in our own lives, but in what the scripture reveals of him. And we are to pray earnestly, ever so earnestly, that the Holy Spirit will act as a hammer, a fire, a lamp, a light, seed, and all the other things that we've discussed today. Uh, I believe that if we have that mindset, we can be partakers of the divine nature as Will read to us. Will, I found that an extremely interesting comment, partakers of the divine nature. I think there's almost a sermon in there. <laughs> uh, maybe at some future time. Um, thank you for your participation today, panel. I believe that this is a very, very vitally important subject that we're studying. Helen, I wondered if you could close with prayer for us, please. Thank you. Dear loving Heavenly Father, thank you for showing us today the, <clears throat> the different aspects of your word. Thank you for enlightening us to know, as, as um, Brenton has been saying, that the word is a lamp and a light, a hammer, a sword, a seed. I pray, Father, that <clears throat> you will use these means to touch our hearts and our minds. I pray, Lord, as we surrender our lives to you and your service, that you will open up the opportunities for us to speak a word in season at the right time, prompted by you. And those people whose heart are being opened, Lord, you will lead us to them. Help us to remember it is you've asked us to sow the seed and you will grow it. Yes. I pray, Lord, that we will remember it's not what we say. It's not how we say it. It is what we have in our heart that comes from our heart. We do need to be careful, Lord, in how we share you with others. But, Father, I just pray that listener here today and our panel we can be so full of you in our life and the holy spirit that our hearts will burn within us that we cannot keep silent lord enable us to share enable us to bring honor and glory and praise to you and you alone i pray in the loving name of jesus amen amen, amen. well thank you panel nick it's over to you <laughs> yeah thank you everyone for uh, your input uh, today um, i think that this was a great um, you know, Bible study, and uh, I believe that uh, as we're looking further next week into ministering like Jesus, and I'll invite you all to um, come back and, yeah, uh, our uh, listeners just to 
to join us again. We are going to learn from the Master uh, next week. But until then, may God richly bless you and don't forget, keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.